0: For touchdown now, it's the Seahawks
1: Nest Podcast. Eric, how are you doing, buddy? Man, I'm doing great. Our offense looked downright functional, and we put up something like 46 points or 20 something points. Either way, we're on the move. Maybe. maybe we moved the ball, which
0: is more than I can say about the first two weeks. So, uh, welcome back to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. My name is Nathan Santo. Uh, we are. J- I'm joined by Eric, as I said before, and uh, Kevin Garber is not here today. But we do have his notes. So every we once do. in a while, we're going to read what we were going to call Notes from Kevin. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> a new segment. It's called Notes from Kevin. It's uh, it's not very creatively named. and uh, It sounds really sweet, though. It sounds cool, though. Yeah. Maybe I'll play a sound effect before each note from Kevin. Pro tip, I will not be playing a sound effect Sad. before each note from Kevin. I, that's way too much work. All right. So uh, before we start, there was one thing that everyone was talking about, and that's the uh, four-hour pregame meeting that the Seahawks ha- had before the game to decide what they were going to do in response to uh, Mr. Trump. And uh, I, don't have, I don't like to go too deep into the politics on this one, and I, I, I'm just going to say this. despite how you feel about the timing, I'm just glad that the team decided to do something to stand together against what they feel is a very serious issue. I think that the, that unity can only be positive for the Seahawks football team Agreed. And, uh, and for maybe our, our country as a whole. And uh, so that's all I'm going to say uh, really about that. Um, if you would like to address it more with me or any of the other Seahawks West members, send us a message. I'm, I'm more than willing to do a private message about it. Please don't post on our public wall because uh, we're here for sports. So let's, uh, let's get <laughs> right into the sports. Um, the Seahawks this week played the Tennessee Titans on the road. Uh, the Seahawks this week for stretch of this game looked surprisingly decent. And the team got beat in ways that I just did not
1: expect. Now, when you say you didn't expect, give me one example. Because there was there was one terrible, awful thing that happened in this game that I All could right. I could see coming. You want to
0: and... you want to know the the play that that kind of summed up the way we were getting beat in this game is the the Demarco Murray touchdown yes. run. There we go. Um, the, the game was that was the game in a in a time capsule. Uh, that the team didn't have very strong laying integrity. They overbit on stuff. Uh, multiple players did terrible on that play, and uh, specifically. And the Titans out-executed the Seahawks' defense. And I felt like that happened a lot in this game, like a surprising number of times, where our defensive talent was maybe as good or better than their offensive talent, but they came out and they, decide- they were able to execute in a way that we could not.
1: They were able to dominate the line of scrimmage, unlike any team I've seen in a long time. They have a good—Tennessee, this is—has a good offensive line. But for them to own us on just about every possession, and like you said, Nate, <clears throat> that we we overplayed I mean, situations, yeah, and I, I feel like the Tennessee Titans— Used our aggressiveness against us.
0: I mean, let's be real too. Like the, the the Titans. Let's start with the defense. Okay, let's start with the defense. We always go defense, offense, defense. Let's start. Let's go defense, offense. Okay, let's start with the defense in this one. Marcus Mariota was given all day to throw, and the secondary did a great job holding him to twenty for thirty-two, only two hundred twenty-five yards passing. They kept the game in front of them. There was only a couple big plays. Um, the problem with the defense was against the run. The the Titans running backs rushed 27 times for 169 yards. Yeah. That's that's nuts, man. That's way too much. And it th- that includes, of course, a 75 run for Murray. But if you take that out, it's still an impressive run performance. I was really disappointed in how this team defended the run. Um, They were really, as you said, over-aggressive. They over-pursued plays. And they didn't – lots of guys didn't do their job. And it's little things. Like – Jeremy Lane on the Murray touchdown, you know, he's got to contain that play, and he doesn't do anything to compl- contain the play. The play just gets... And if he does contain the play, he pushes it back inside to KJ, who's going to make a play on the ball, right?
1: Yeah, well, why do you... I've told you before, why do I not like college football, Nathan? Do why? you remember? I say that, it, to me, it's men versus boys. Right, there's teams that are too good. There I are agree. guys that look... The offensive line that look like me, and people may not know what I look like, but six foot four, two 280 pounds, I lift weights versus guys who look like like the kids you coach like Malik McDowell yes it's it's men versus boys it just feels like there's it's a bullying thing like there's no way that these little guys are gonna go up against these big like, guys well
0: the thing is it's like a guy like you so you're six foot four you're 280 like you're a pretty sizable guy but if you had to go against a 360 pound defensive lineman you'd get shoved around like yeah. there's just
1: no two ways about it it's just not possible but in this game when you said Jeremy Lane needed to you know have a little more a little more push inside i could see that coming in no way jeremy lane is not a big guy and the downfield blocking on that play that was a demonstration on how to run block via your whole team and lane got eaten up he had no chance and like you said he should have taken a better angle on it but at the same time when when he was getting blocked i knew it was over he got beaten every phase of the game yes like, he did he,
0: he was the, a clear hole that we had on the field
1: this is jeremy lane what do we say what jeremy lane's going to show up and He did not show up this week. Bad Jeremy Lane showed up. And I thought, like, the pass rush
0: was was really inept in general. Like, Frank Clark had no pressures or rush uh, or sacks or anything. No, nothing. Um, I mean, I I think that was a... Like, our only defensive lineman I thought had a a great game. I thought Nas Jones was, again, really good. Nas Jones is... The time time that he gets on the field, I've been very impressed. He
1: plays like a veteran. He doesn't... He
0: did not overplay. Sheldon Richardson... Sheldon Richardson did a really good job against the run. Even if he couldn't create much pass rush, I thought Sheldon Richardson did his job. Um, Everyone else, I don't know. Like, I just felt like the team...
1: the, The defense looked good, but not great. And there were big stretches where they gave up huge plays. And the Titans' offensive line did a great job of looking at our strengths... And playing against them. So they know how good our edge rushers are. So what they did is they folded their line in to keep pressure from coming up the middle. And they let their tackles do their job. Michael Bennett couldn't get in. Frank Clark couldn't get in. And Mariota had enough time to take what the defense gave him. And then, of course, you had Richard Sherman making a stupid, stupid move.
0: He should have got kicked out on that second one. <sighs> yes, he like, should have. he should have got kicked out at the beginning. He yelled at that ref for so long after the play was over. After thought, he got the foul, I thought, dude, you're going to get yelled. kicked out, man. Like, what are you doing? This is a guy I, I consider to be pretty smart. Like, I, th- I think he's got a pretty great intelligence, and then it's just like...
1: I feel like he's smart. I just don't know how wise he is, and yeah. there is a difference there. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know how invested he is with the team, given his remarks in the offseason. I've had it a little with Richard Sherman. That's where I'm going with this. I'm very disappointed... In his maturity at this age I know he has a chip on his shoulder I know that he's the smartest guy in the room It bothers me that he needs To constantly tell us about it uh-huh. In some way And that didn't cost us the game Richard Sherman did not cost us the game But that play Helped the Titans score Okay, That play definitely got the crowd into it, and also, I'm sorry, I like how the Seahawks are perceived. When we won the Super Bowl, I like how we were the team that bullied the other team. We were the team that would smack you in the mouth. Now, we're known as that team with Richard Sherman who won't shut up, yeah, and loud I hate mouths. That. We're now. Yes, I hate that.
0: Uh, Michael Wilhoy uh, played 42 snaps and only got three tackles. Uh, I'm going to call a spade a spade here. This guy... We came into the season thinking that this team was basically going to play two linebackers most of the time, and they this guy was on the field for 42 snaps, but you could have fooled me that we were playing two linebackers the whole game. Like, I am not impressed by Michael Wilhoy. I don't think he's very good. Uh, there's rumors going around that Seahawks are trying guys out. Um... Uh, outside linebacker uh, runs. There's a really good run stopping outside linebacker that we tried out this week. And I, for some reason I didn't write the name down. So now I'm just like stalling, trying
1: to figure it out. And is uh, he a, is he an unrestricted free agent or is yeah. he, was he cut? I'm sorry. Was he a, is he a young guy who never made a team uh, or is he an experienced veteran?
0: No, he's a, he's an experienced veteran and his name is, give me, give me two seconds Two one ready? Akeem air. Okay. So Akeem air, oh, okay. who's supposedly a good run stopping outside linebacker. These are guys, kind of guys that we're, he played for Philadelphia. In. Uh, a- 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 maybe a- it doesn't matter it, it doesn't we'll wait, we'll, we'll wait till we get him we can look out he was a Colt yeah, close um, enough yeah so so yeah Akim Ayers is apparently a good run stopper he's 20 years old he's got a lot of NFL experience uh, I would like to see us try something else at outside linebacker I think the answer is McDougal, but I just don't think the team is willing to go there do you think do you have a reason why you think why they're not <sighs> willing to go there I don't
1: I don't know what it is. We talked about this last week with McDougal. I had two I don't... snaps in this game. Yeah. And he's... I remember seeing him on the field. But, oh, there he is. But he's a special team stud. Like, he's playing through all our special team snaps. But that's not what we brought him in for. No, and yeah. I don't really know what we brought him in for. I don't know if Pete Carroll and crew are disappointed in his play. I don't know if he's not grasping our defense. That is a real possibility. But he's such a special team stud. And he is, like you said, Earl Thomas insurance. Maybe even Cam Chancellor insurance. We
0: mm-hmm. could play either safety position. Yeah, right?
1: I, I honestly, Nathan. I want to say that maybe he is not grasping our defense the way we thought he would. That's my only. Guess. And my
0: other thing is that if if Jeremy Lane plays all but one snap in the next game, I'm going to lose my mind. Like I, his, his snap should be going to Shaq Griffin. Shaq Griffin. He, I don't care if he's slightly hurt. I don't care. Ninety percent of Shaq Griffin is better than hundred percent of Jeremy Lane at this point, even with all the mistakes. Okay, I'm I'm just I'm I'm done with Jeremy Lane. Like I have faith that Chet
1: Griffin will move into that number one corner role in a couple years, and I'm pretty excited about it.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm. Chet can't get healthy soon enough. Let me just say that as well. <laughs> uh, all right, so that's the defense. Uh, do you have anything else that you thought we should uh, touch on before we go? No, I'm
1: trying to look through Kevin's notes real quick and see if there was anything that he saw that maybe we didn't talk about uh, again.
0: Note, wait, so you're saying we might have a notes from a note, Kevin? I'm sorry, yeah. Notes from Kevin.
1: Uh, he did uh, this play when the whole team misread the screen to Matthews in the third quarter. Right, Frank Clark pulled up lame on that play. Yes. I was so mad about that. Yeah, that play was awful.
0: I mean that that's, that was an, that's another example of how the team was really aggressive. They were aggressively pursuing and they weren't holding their lane integrity, you know? They weren't playing smart football like they always do. And the, the thing about the Seahawks that's always been great is they play smart football. They're not the best tackling team, but they're good enough to let the, everyone else catch up to the play, right? Yeah. Earl Thomas slows the guy down and then all of a sudden here's a swarm and every and he's down. Right? That didn't happen in this game.
1: We talk about our favorite players on the defense. We usually talk about our safeties. We talk about Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. Not bad
0: in this game, by the way. Both no, of
1: course not. They're they're the best safeties in the league, I will go ahead and say. Yeah, it's
0: us or the Ravens. It's like Those are the only two teams I could feel like you could even put in the conversation. I like I like the uh, Chiefs as well.
1: The Chiefs are good. Well, Eric Berry got right. Eric, Yeah, Eric Berry. Eric Berry Barry, sorry, that, sorry, guy can't can't that guy can't catch a break. But I'll say this. Outside of Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor, this is a defense, and I feel like offenses of other teams know this, if you can just get under their skin somehow, if you can get them to over-pursue, if you can get them to miss plays, if you can, if you can frustrate them, you will win because we will lose the mental game. Does that make sense? Yeah. Our and mental game seems weak right now. I I think agree. our safeties, like Earl, uh, I remember after the Sherman play, what did Earl do? Made a tackle behind the line of scrimmage. Earl's awesome. Comes in, shows his maturity. He's fired up. Cam had a decent game. Uh, he had a good game. But everyone else, when... When they get frustrated, they turn into babies, and and I don't mean to just attack I mean, them. Chancellor had four
0: defensive stops in the run game; like he was he was excellent in this game.
1: Well, look what we talked about. What Sherman did? Look at Michael Bennett. He he didn't get any pressure. Uh, I I do want to say something. You know, Michael Bennett is always getting an offsides penalty. Yeah. Okay, and you know how or a neutral zone refraction, I should say. Bruce Arians of the Cardinals says that Mike Bennett does that on every play, which I don't know if that's true. I think Michael Bennett is doing what they do in baseball. He crowds the plate. Yeah, there are guys. There, are, Casey does it too. The, for the Titans, yeah. I noticed it during this game. He wants you to see. He wants to see what he can get away with. Mm-hmm. And when they call the penalty, he says, "Oh, okay. They they won't give me that. I'll step back a little. And then later in the game, I'm going to try it again. Sometimes he gets away with it. That's what I noticed. I mean, yeah,
0: DVOA is not adjusting much for last year anymore, and now we're seven or nineteenth. You know, so it's like the team is really. On defense, the defense is 18th. It's, I would have said before the season, you know, if our defense would be ranked 18th in the league, you'd be nuts considering the personnel that we have. But we just haven't been able to put it together on the field, and that's important, right? And you you have to go prove it. And yeah. I, I'm right now. I'm really worried that this team is maybe. Uh, yeah, like you said, they mentally just get they get they get lost in the shuffle. I'll say
1: bit. this about the defense, and it it's also goes for our offense. Our team adjusted in the second half on offense, and it showed, the bad thing is the Tennessee Titans defense adjusted, and their offense adjusted for the second half as well, Mm -hmm. because our first half defense looked pretty good, we kept the run in check, we made sure Mariota couldn't run, it looked like a very winnable game, until the adjustments came, like I felt we adjusted, and was like, wow, we're doing it, but the Titans adjusted too, and I feel like they win the battle of adjustments, if you will, yeah. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, the Seahawks actually, the, let's go to
0: the offense. The offense actually didn't look horrible. Uh, we completed five deep passes. Uh, Lockett got one. Procise got the 46-yarder. Uh, Baldwin got the 36-yarder. Uh, we had the nice seam route to Wilson in the, in the for the touchdown. I mean, there's a lot of good deep throws for Russell Wilson. He was, he was kind of making it happen all over the field, which I really liked. Um, the I, problem for me is that I think Wilson is putting, he doesn't trust this offensive line. And he's putting them in kind of no-win situations because of his lack of trust. He's yeah. like, I'm going to drop back and go back like a 1,000 feet in this drop back. And
1: then now it's the play is, is busted, right? I was going to say, before we started the podcast, we talked about why is Russ taking, what, like a seven-step drop? And you think it's because he doesn't trust the offensive line. I mean, why should he, really? I mean, the offensive line has proven time and time again that... They are not to be
0: trusted. But the problem with the seven-step drop is, or a long drop like that, is it puts the tackles in a very tough situation. Where, and I think this might be why our hurry-up offense is so much better. Because in the hurry-up, Russ takes three steps, stands, delivers, goes to the next play. Three steps, stand, deliver, go to the next play. Right? It's 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 like it's fast and it's snappy. Our, our, he runs a read option and then he boots. Right? Like there's the plays have a very clear flow to them. The offensive linemen know what to expect. It's when the things change and they try to run a more complex play that it's like, okay, I'm going to make it take a seven-step drop and now the tackles have to really bring it on that play and the edge rushers are just, they put their, you know, they pin their ears back and they run in a straight line fast.
1: And this is a very important point you're making, Nathan. Is it possible that when we do the the quick count or the hurry-up offense, that that is taking plays away from Daryl Bevel and that we're going to a much smaller playbook Things that Russ is calling. I mean, uh, the, Bevel's still feeding in the plays, even in the
0: hurry, okay. up, right? That they have the microphone system. Like he, he's still feeding in two or three plays. I think what it does, though, is it, it does shorten the playbook and it it simplifies what we're trying to do. Which you you can run, some, you can get away with running some pretty simple offense. I feel like when you have decent skill position players, which we do, our skill position players aren't bad. The problem is the offensive line. I, I'm of the opinion that, that simplifying the offense and, and running out of the hurry up all the time is where this team should go if they are serious about winning.
1: We had to do that last year because of Russ's injury. I feel like they don't want to do that this year because. He had double ankle taped. I mean, he. he and, ate, a, and a knee brace. But this year it feels like they want to get back to our offense, but I don't know what we. If we have it, that anymore, he had
0: a knee brace in the last game too.
1: No, I'm sorry, I meant, I last, meant last year. year. Last but year. this then Titans game, they double taped his ankles. Yeah, like,
0: at the beginning of the game, he was, maybe
1: maybe he's more bruised up or I'm sorry, beaten up than we think. Yeah, it's like definitely possible. To last I, I
0: thought he had a good throwing performance though. It was definitely better than the last two games. You saw him. Uh, it was. It felt like he was working out the kinks a little bit. Like the shoulder, the shoulder didn't seem to be bothering him. He didn't have the weird lineup. He I mean, was 29 for 49. He threw way too much. Like that's way too many passing attempts for us. Yeah, we shame on
1: you, Seattle Times, for suggesting that we need to get away from our rush first offense. I saw this at the coffee shop. It said we need to go to a pass first offense. No, no, we don't. We
0: were last week. I mean yeah, and it with fifteen rushes for what, forty three yards? That yes, was our playing catch up also from running backs. Uh, I I think that that's a that's a losing strategy if that's our plan is to just run it only 15 times a game. Well, I guess if you include the the Russell rushes, we had 22 rushes. But if if that's our plan, that's that's going to end up really badly
1: for us. Yeah, I think 15 rushes between Prosize and Carson are not enough. I do want to go into something on the offense right. at about the 10 minute mark. There was a play. This is before the game got away from us. Russ had protection, which we haven't really talked about the offensive line yet. The offensive line did a decent job at times of protecting Russ. He had time to throw. At the 10-minute mark... I mean, he was pressured on 44% of his dropbacks.
0: But I'm going to say that I felt like at least 20% of those, and maybe this will add to your point, were him holding the ball for a really long time or him dropping back too far and the tackles having no shot. Like I felt like... There was some preventable pass rush in this game where like, the pass rush could have been avoided if maybe the play design was a little better yes.
1: or Russell was, Russell was acting in a little bit of a different way. First quarter at the 10-minute mark, it was a deep crossing route. You saw Baldwin and Lockett cross deep. You want to know what the safeties did for the Titans? They stood there. You know why? Because there was nowhere open for them to throw the ball. So there was a deep crossing route. The, the whole point of a crossing route, Nathan, can you, can you tell us what that is? Mix up the, mix up the coverage. Exactly. It, it makes the man <clears throat> covering either zone or man coverage, because the Seahawks you know, fall victim to this. They have to switch off on whichever man they cover. This was a crossing route where nothing happened in the defense, and it was deep. So when the ball is deeper and Russ needs to throw the ball, it's going to take longer to get there. Even with Russ's rocket arm or whoever's rocket arm, it's going to take longer for the ball to get there. And on a crossing route deep, where the safeties don't move, it's a pick-off play. Meaning, Russ throws that ball, no matter what, it's going to get picked off. At best, it's going to get knocked down. Okay, That took your two best receivers out of the play. Completely. That is a bogus play call we do not need in this playbook. Like Nathan said, we feel like simplifying the offense is a much better move for this team. Hurry up offense, simplifying the playbook plays like that deep cross early in the game where, I'm sorry, the Titans' defense isn't, they're not world beaters. For them to totally read that, it felt like our offense was predictable, and that is why we have problems with Daryl Bevel as as fans.
0: Right, and the another thing here about this, you're, you're right. I, I completely agree with you. And then another thing, too, is that if these throwing plays are taking so long to develop that that's causing us to run pressure, like, then we need to do something different. Um, Tom Brady. Okay, let me give you an example of a of a guy who has a clear weakness. Tom Brady has some clear weaknesses in his game. Okay, he does not handle pressure well. Tom Brady in any game where he gets pressured, those are games that Patriots end up losing. Right? Patriot, the, when the Patriots lose, the other team got pressure. His clear true. weakness. So what did what did Belichick do for the last twenty years? No, not that long, but close. <laughs> for the last close to twenty years, to combat this weakness, well, the Patriots run a lot of quick throws. Quick slants, and they and they when they throw deep, it's uh it's one of those quick deep plays, right, where he just runs, guy runs in a straight line and he just kind of chucks it up underneath him. There's no chance for Tom Brady to get pressured. The Patriots have as nearly as bad of an offensive line as we do, but it doesn't show as much, and it's because our play design and our offense is is unchanging. We do the same things. We try to do the same things no matter what. At least that's the way it feels from from my observations,
1: and it, it doesn't do us any good. Yeah, we're not the coaches. We don't we don't deal with this team through the weeks, but we do watch every game, usually twice. And these are the things we see: <clears throat> the offensive line played better this week. They ran hot and cold. I, they did. Know, it was okay, but there were times Russ had time to throw the ball, sure, which has never happened. I'm talking prior like to this five week. seconds. That's that's an eternity in Seahawkville. The, the missed snaps by Britt were very concerning. Yeah, Ultimately, I don't I don't know whose fault that is. That's really hard to figure out. Honestly, I chucked it up to heat. Like, this team, I don't know if it's the glorious Pacific Northwest where people think it does not, you know, we don't see the sun ever here. But in hot weather, this team is, is we're just a step slower. Everything is, you know, quickly fumbled and picked up. It's really weird. I, I That's all I could think maybe that's what it was.
0: Yeah, it's an odd game. Uh, Eric, what about uh, the third phase of the game? The special team. Oh, special teams. Out of the Seahawks do? uh oh, this special team the
1: special the special teams team is hurting especially uh we lost three players on our special teams in yep. one play this week yeah there was so many injuries yeah it was it was awful and i think the the special teams you know there was the touchdown that was called back thank god that thing was called back cuz that was an abysmal play by just about everyone on special teams and i mean this the
0: Seahawks too like they 30 i mean they had 30 six total yards in their first six drives. Like they put the they put the defense in a bad spot when you punt like a million times like that. And the, the punt coverage team was probably dragging too because they're on the field over and over and over again, right? It just yeah, keeps you're, happening.
1: You're running, you know, 60-70 yards at top speed. That's gonna exhaust yeah, someone. I
0: mean from Titans drives eight through twelve, they have field goal, touchdown, 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 field goal. Like that's you can't do that. You can't have five straight bad drives like that. That's no that's no good.
1: Yeah. Seahawks, rough go they looked exhausted in just about every facet of the game right. at some point i liked how our defense wasn't on the field as much as they have been maybe i don't know against the the 49ers we fixed that problem a little bit too do you want to talk about abushi in place of glowinski at i thought all? they were i thought they were very
0: similar uh, very same samey uh, maybe abushi slightly better okay abushi uh, wasn't wasn't horrible and you're right about time of possession. By the way, that the, t- losing 27 to 32 is completely acceptable in a game like this on the road. Uh, this was a winnable football game, and uh, you know, three blown plays to f- to fumbles that didn't end up being fumbles, but those are those are just dead plays, right? Uh, four for 14 on third down. Like these are the things
1: that you need to do better. 11 penalties for 98 yards. The penalties have always been a problem with this team, but yeah. it's just at some point it's got to get wrapped up. I keep going back to the New Orleans Saints game from last year. Where I felt we were picked on, that was the that was the really egregious, you know Pete Carroll was very mad at that game. It was 16 to one. The Saints had one penalty and we had 16. It felt like the refs called that against us and it was really bad. This is a team that is always going to be high in penalties and we need to find a way to curb that because with Richard Sherman's dumb penalties, the 10 other penalties in this game and losing by six points. What is the five six? P- yeah. It's, Although
0: I would say, you know, to let's be honest, the Richardson touchdown is kind of a garbage time touchdown. Like we had a minute fifty left, we probably weren't getting the ball back.
1: I don't it's know. still winnable. It's still winnable. it's a
0: winnable game, but it's just like, I don't know, how good do I really feel about that touchdown? Kinda good. I know it came late. The the Rashard Matthews touchdown, and then the, the they got three big plays right in a row. Um, I want to talk about big plays. Can we talk about that for a second? Yeah. Backbreaking right. plays. So. Uh, as longtime listeners of the podcast, all five of you guys, the, <laughs> you'll know that something called toxic differential is something I really take a peek at. Um, the website that does it, SportingCharts.com, actually doesn't track the stat anymore, so I had to do it by hand. Um, but I can tell you the past. In the past, we would uh, we were third, first, first, second. That's 2012 to 2015. In 2016, we dropped all the way to ninth. Okay, so like last year, we all noticed that something seemed off about the way the Seahawks were getting turnovers and big plays, and you were right. Your, your spidey sense was they were slightly worse at that than they had been in the past. This year so far, we have a toxic differential of zero, which means that the big pass plays, the big run plays, and the turnovers are all equal. Okay, If I add up our run, big run plays, big pass plays, and turnovers, and then how many we had against us, it's the same number. The problem for this for me is that, that puts us. Squ- if you have end up the season with a zero, you're going to be squarely in the middle of the league. The, this team cannot survive on not creating not if we're if we're not going to create big plays, we can't give any up. Not especially not like that. Like the the, the Marco Murray run, the Rashard Matthews pass, those plays cannot happen. And we also we need to create turnovers. Uh, this team is not creating a ton of turnovers right now, and it's really killing
1: us. Well, right there, you have. The explanation of toxic plays where you said, if we're not going to create any, we can't give them up. We For four years, we used to create them, and And, we never gave them up.
0: Yeah, And we never gave up long. And then last
1: year, because of Russ's injury, we could not create them. But we didn't give them up as much. This year, we're not creating big plays. We're giving up big plays, and this is a recipe for disaster. We have the Colts coming up. That is a you-better-win game. But We've had two home games where we should have won. And we have two games on the road that maybe if you're looking at the schedule and you don't want to panic and you don't want to get mad at this team, you can say, you know, those are two tough teams and they're on the road. It's going to be close. We can lose these games. But that Packer game was very winnable. This Titans game was very winnable. And they need to figure it out. To to end on a boring note, they better figure
0: it out. All right, so... You transitioned us perfectly to the Colts game here. Uh, Jacoby Brissett actually had a really good game last game as the Colts went on the on the road and beat the Browns, which was uh, surprising to a lot of people except me because I don't like Deshaun Kaiser. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what do you? How do you guys? How do you feel? Well, wait before we leave, any notes from Kevin about the uh, offensive line or anything? Or
1: do you... yeah, he actually said that Abushi was a clear upgrade over Glowinski, and it's not the... great though. I'm not gonna lie; like it was, it was just okay. I'll say this: watching, if he was a dumpster fire. Though you guys watch, you guys watch the kicks, the steps, every little thing. I just watch it as it happens and passively looking, like looking for Ibushi. He didn't stand around. He didn't fall on his ass as much. I I felt like it was a bit of an upgrade. Uh, he he disagrees with you on Justin Britt. He really enjoyed Brick. Uh, I'm sorry, Justin Britt. Uh, he said that Jokul doesn't suck.
0: Um, well I didn't say Brit was bad. It's just the, the miscommunications, the three fumbles, those were two of the fumbles were
1: centered quarterback exchanges that didn't yeah. go well. So that that's but that bugs me. Uh, um, he said Jokel doesn't suck. I tend to agree. It's it's an immobile left tackle right now. That's what we have. And uh I feel like I'm sorry, left side of the defense in general and Jokel holding down his line. That's he's just doing what he's Paid to do. Overpaid to do, I should say. All right. Well, now now that
0: I did the transition and we went past it because I wanted to get to (laughs) notes from Kevin, uh, let's just do the transition. Jacoby Brissett has been a clear upgrade for them at quarterback in Andrew Luck's absence. Uh, He played pretty good last game, Uh, 15 for 19, 248 yards, and a touchdown when he was not pressured. Here's the problem for me. Against the Seahawks, Jacoby Brissett is going to be pressured. Uh the key for the Seahawks offense is going to be bottling up Jabal Sheard. Jabal Sheard has been pretty good this year as an edge rusher. Um and uh he had four pressures in the last game and uh so he's it's he's he has a high ceiling. I, this is the kind of guy who's like a mediocre talent that
1: the Seahawks offensive line
0: makes look like an all-star. And Yikes. that worries me a lot. Uh Eric, do you have any opinions on the Indianapolis Colts? You know, the
1: defensive line is uh, do you want to? Do you want to go? Uh, I'm just going to actually. I'll jump right onto your defensive line of the Colts. I feel like this team is the the Colts are a team in transition, a team going nowhere. Right? With, they, with, they, they switched to a three four without a real plan on how to do it. Yeah, I, I don't. Pagano seems like he's kind of desperate. That's that's for the Colts. That's from the Colts Nest podcast that we will never do. I feel like they drafted like
0: like four offensive linemen in the first four rounds or defensive players in the first four rounds, and none of them are starting. No,
1: and I don't understand what their plan is on anything. It was to overpay for Andrew Luck and hope for the best. And that's bad. That's almost what the Green Bay Packers are doing. But the Packers have good talent at good positions. The Colts do not. They have a team president who can actually get good talent to come play for his team. Yes. And Frank Gore is their running back. Frank Gore is great. Frank Gore is football ancient. And it's only a matter of time before he stops playing, before he sustains an injury or just hangs it up. Andrew Luck may come back in week six. He may be shut down for the season. The defense of this team, like you said, there will be times where they get to Russell Wilson or they, they they rush for Russell Wilson, but that's only because our offensive line is so bad.
0: If if Ryan Kelly can play this week for the Colts, they have a shot to not just get run over by the Seahawks defensive line. If he doesn't play, I would be very worried about the health of Jacoby Brissett. He's a fast quarterback, though. He'll be able to run. I like the way that they use. One thing they've been doing with Jacoby that's been nice is they use uh, misdirection plays a lot. They run the read option and stuff like that, which
1: is something we should maybe should bring back more too. Um, yeah, Jacoby Brissett, I feel, has been a, an injection of hope for this team. He may he may be the guy you want to run with all year if. if uh you know, luck is being yeah, considered to play. There's, there's no point in bringing back luck because you're you're not going to make the playoffs. Well, and also the defense. Right? I'm sorry, not the defense. The division, the AFC South, is that right? Is the surprisingly competent, surprisingly division. competitive. It's crazy, and between the Jags' defense, just don't, just don't bring Andrew Luck back. I mean, they are saying that he might practice
0: this week, which is just not, if they bring him back for this game, they're asking for him to get re-injured. That like, sounds like desperation. That is, that is begging. But Beg- you're
1: playing the you're paying the guy twenty six million a year. You may want to not sit him. I don't know. I'll uh, say he's this: He's not the- playing Sunday night. Like they
0: they've already said. Like even if he practices, he's not playing in this game. So that that's good. At least they're not
1: suicidal. Yeah, like you said, the the four defensive picks for the Colts this year, not. Not starting for them. This is a very inexperienced Colts team. Kevin has that in his notes. Uh, he says that they are an inexperienced secondary. Doug Baldwin and Paul Richardson, Paul, uh, Paul Richardson should be able to have a field day. I don't know if Lockett will because Lockett doesn't seem to be uh, up to speed yet. I think that their offensive line is going to have a bad day against Michael Bennett and co. I definitely see that happening.
0: All right. So, uh... Yeah, I think the the Seahawks. This this is the this is the game they need to win to get back to who they are. They need to get to the bye at three and two. They need to win this game. They need to go to L.A. and play the Rams and take care of business. That's that's how the Seahawks get into the bye feeling good about this season. If they lose either one of these next two games, I think they go they go into the bye as a team in turmoil. Right. Yeah, uh, and and the Rams do look better. Sean McVay has made them uh, surprisingly competent. Uh, they're not—I wouldn't say they're good. After watching, uh, I replayed some of their games this week because I got bored. I was like, how are, <laughs> "How are they? How are they so much better?" They're—they're uh, they're okay. Um, so yeah, I, I'm excited to see what what this team's capable of. If they can get to the bye at three and two, I'm totally fine with how this season's gone. Because if you asked me before the season start, it's like, "Hey, would you be fine with three and two going to the bye?" I would have said. Yes.
1: Yeah. Looking at that schedule, the Titans game and the Packers game, they look like tough games. Titans,
0: Packers at Rams. I just wanted to win one of those three. Uh, so we just now we have to win two. We're at the point where we have no room for error anymore, right? All right. So let's get to picks. Kevin's pick first. Hit me. Oh, you know what? Does Kevin have a pick for this game? Kevin yeah. picks Seahawks
1: on the on the. Uh, the oh, Patreon, I'm sorry. On the Patreon exclusive podcast, but did he pick a number? I'm sorry. Yes. <clears throat> he says that the Week Three offense shows up. Seattle wins thirty-one to ten. If the week two offense shows up, Seattle wins sixteen to seven.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm of the opinion that it's going to be somewhere in between those two things. Uh, I like the Seahawks to really just put it on them on defense. If we score thirty one points, it's going to be because we got a defensive touchdown. I like
1: twenty four to thirteen Seahawks. I'm going to have more faith in this team just because of how we played last week against the Titans on the road. I like the Seahawks to go in and win thirty four to thirteen. Kevin has something really cool in his notes and I say yep. cool because I think that he's Kevin's nailed it on on the head here. TY Hilton, we did not mention him at all. He an, Seahawk, he's an he's an amazing receiver. He's he's probably the best player for the Colts when Andrew Luck is not on the field or maybe even on the field. TY Hilton is is a very good player. He will go off for a touchdown in this game. Do not be surprised if that happens. Remember last time TY Hilton played against Richard Sherman, he like he let
0: he put it on Richard Sherman. He was very very good and they went right after it that was um, four years
1: ago too when we won the super bowl yeah so
0: all right uh that that gives it that's enough for the uh the seahawks portion of the podcast now it's time to head to the money zone uh where you can give us your money at patreon.com slash seahawks nest uh 13 13 people have decided that this was a good course for their life and they get access to an exclusive 15 to 30 minute podcast every week where we pick every single game it's really fun uh, I i uh, I, I really enjoy making it, and uh, also, uh, we've been doing pretty good on our picks, too. All of us are significantly over 500 in our picks. Uh, for the If you if you want to help us, but you don't have any money, I understand. The economy's bad, so you can go to facebook.com slash the Seahawks Nest, uh, twitter.com slash Seahawks Nest, um, or you can just share us on your favorite social platform via SoundCloud, uh, all of these ways help us just grow our listenership, which is now nearing about 500 weekly listens, which just blows my mind. I Sometimes I think about it and I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, it's um, pretty cool. And the thing is, I used to think like when we were getting like 200, 300, I was like, uh, but half of these are probably <laughs> fake because they're from real weird places that I've never heard of, like cities in Virginia and the Philippines and stuff. Now I look at our weekly listens, and it's just all cities in Washington, Oregon, Western Canada, uh, like cities that I would expect Seahawks fans to live in. So Some in San Francisco, uh, too. Uh, yeah, still, still people in San Francisco listening. If you're in a 12 in enemy territory, I still want you to hold me. Uh, top countries this week other than America. Germany, United Kingdom, Singapore,
1: Australia, Ireland, Croatia, and Japan. All right. so You know Germany, that's because uh, of me. Is it really? Well, it's because my last name is Ronebeck. Uh, there, everyone over there is Rheinbeck or Roenbeck. It's, it's they were, You're welcome.
0: Sixteen of the eighteen lessons were all from one city called Brockel, Germany. Which I, if I Google it, it is uh, it is a city of uh, about seventeen thousand. Uh, it looks like looks pretty nice. It's in um right in the middle of Germany. <laughs> Do you like description of that? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's de- very green and right industrial. dead center. Uh, the thing. Uh, the th- this is what happened. Is some guy from Brockel, Germany. And if you're if you're listening to this, shout out to you, dude. Uh he went to our podcast feed and he like set his iTunes settings are such that he downloads like the last twenty episodes instead of the last uh one, right? So then he, he downloaded a bunch of episodes at once. Which you know what? Good for you, man. Keep downloading. Alright, so so uh that is that. Uh let's get go ahead and get into the movie the movie. Club. movies. You know, this week I was going to take us back to our roots and I feel wrong doing it without Kevin.
1: Yeah, you you got to be real careful because Kevin Kevin is going to have thoughts on movies that he loves and you don't want to you don't want to make him you know what? let him miss that. You know what? I don't care. Oh,
0: I want to talk about underrated action movies. And so to do that, I want to ask you a question. Do you like the idea of Matt Damon playing J Playing James Bond?
1: No, I know. Okay, I well don't. then, then you don't like I, the
0: you don't like the Bourne movies. Then
1: no, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I took that a little too literal because I really enjoyed the Jason Bourne movies. Okay, this is
0: what I'll talk about. I think the Bourne movies they got the shine taken off them,
1: I'm and sorry. um,
0: and I understand why. The Bourne movies have a lot of um, action with a lot of camera cuts, uh, and I think they're kind of trying to hide something there. But despite that fact. These movies, the character Jason Bourne is so cool that I don't care. And I would encourage anyone who doesn't like these movies very much, just go back and watch like the first one. And then kind of just let the other ones go. Because yeah. that first movie is daggers. Like He doesn't know anything, but he has... He doesn't like, know who he is. It's like the
1: guy from Taken, man. He just d- d- knows how to do everything and he just kicks ass. it's like, well, so amazing. It's that scene, uh, he's in Russia, he may, maybe he's in Germany, when he's sleeping on a park bench. Yeah, and the cops like start poking him with their nightsticks, like trying to get him to move faster. And he immediately just grabs it. and He doesn't know why he did it. That's mm-hmm. probably my favorite scene, the, or the, the scene in the movie that kicked it off, where I was like, "Wow, Matt Damon's a badass." And then the, the
0: first movie too is directed by Doug Liman, who I love, director of Swingers. Uh, it's really good. Uh, I think the casting in this movie is awesome. Like, I love like Clive Owen as like the counter agent, the guy. The, yes, the professor who like is trying to catch Jason Bourne.
1: You have uh, Frank Patente as a wonderful love interest, if you will. Uh, did I get her name right? Yep. Uh, I actually saw her three times in Los Angeles in one day. Oh, wow. When I visited my friend. This is before the uh, Bourne movies when she was in Run, Lola, Run. She was eating in a restaurant for breakfast that we were, and then I saw her in a supermarket, and then I saw her come out of a place for dinner. It was kind of crazy. Anyway, she's great in this movie. Uh, this movie has really good characterization for people that don't have a lot of screen time and i think that that is a hidden reason why this movie succeeds so well.
0: Yeah, there's like world building here where like the they they're building up this like this world where there's like this secret government agency, right? And yeah. all this crazy stuff is Led happening. Led by
1: a uh, Chris uh what's his name? He's the guy from Chris America- Cooper. Chris Cooper, yes. It, who is the perfect guy who's in control but at some point just gets so mad because they can't find this guy.
0: There's a there is a fantastic car chase scene in this movie. It takes place in Paris, I think. Yes. Yeah, and it's really, really good. Um, they, uh, the one thing they say about the production of it though is that they, um, the car chase scene, they filmed it in a bunch of places that aren't actually connected. So if you actually know the the geography of Paris, you're like, "What? Wait, how did they get from there to there? Like, I, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense to someone who actually really knows Paris." Which kind of cracks me up. How many does any notes about how many cars they went through? Mm-mm, but they had to go through so many. I was
1: gonna say because that was a a total pos car it was it was little and it was really cute to watch matt damon kick ass in it
0: yeah one thing that's cool is like um alexander witt did the he did the um he did all the action scenes filming there he was like the assistant director because lyman trusted him to do a better job with it than he did because that guy's a frequent uh ridley scott uh, collaborator, and he's done like cinematography, second unit direction for Gladiator, Cinderella, Casino Royale, Skyfall, Spectre, like a bunch of stuff like that. Like he's the second unit director on these movies. So Lyman was just like on these action sequences, I am going to kind of fall into your arms a little bit. Wow, I am going to trust you to like do a good job on these, and I am just going to shoot the scenes where their faces in the car. <laughs> so I mean, that, and it worked out really good because the the action sequences in this movie they're awesome, and the non action sequences really work because they have like kind of these two expert director and second unit director working together as a team.
1: And I there's one thing about this movie that you don't really think about but <clears throat> Matt Damon who he's he plays Jason Bourne he's the main badass. It's a guy who wakes up with amnesia. He has no idea who he is and he's kind of starts piecing things together. He realizes he's this badass. It's very much letting letting you come in as the watcher of the movie like you're Jason Bourne. It's you know, you don't know what's going on either. He finds he finds this card, he goes to a bank, there's a gun, there's all this money. You're like, Wow, that would be really cool to find and you know, Jason Bourne's character is like, Wow, this is really cool, I found this. It's it's a really cool thing they do in the movie.
0: Yeah, and I I think like the the second and third movie, they really did lean into the like handheld camera, smash cut a million times. The first movie it's not as bad. And I think that's why I like it so much more than the other ones. I do get like a little motion sick with the Paul Greengrass when they switched directors and they it, it got a little frantic for me in terms of what it was like after the first movie
1: when well, the first movie kind of seemed gritty in the second movie you had some James Bond esque material like the scene with the sniper rifle is mm-hmm. that in two or three that's in two and that's that's a wonderful scene. It's really cool. That's it's got some tension to it. Get some rest, Pam. You look tired. He just hangs up the phone. Yeah, that's from that's from the second. Yeah, one. but it's, it's a good it's, scene. It's a really good scene. But that's probably my favorite scene in that movie. Yeah. Whereas there's so many scenes in the first movie that I, you know, makes me love the film.
0: Yeah, and there's a sense of discovery. Like you're discovering like all of the things with the character that I think makes this movie. It bumps it up from like, hey, this is just a solid action film to hey, this is actually really good. Um, also best use of a Moby song ever. Uh, is this, is the, the that extreme ways song that's in like this movie. I not even noticed. Um, and then, yeah, so that, that's a, that's my, um, that's my other thing. All right. Anything else you want to say about born identity?
1: I did not watch the Jeremy Renner version. And, uh, Oh, I
0: didn't I didn't either. And I want to say I picked this movie cuz I figured Kevin hadn't watched it cuz it came out between 2000 and 2015.
1: Wait, is there a fourth Bourne movie that I didn't see? There is there is a lot.
0: There's a new one called Jason Bourne that just came out uh okay. like last year. I actually have not seen it yet, but it's on HBO, so I just need to make time to watch it. I've heard it's I've heard it's real decent. The marketing for it was the funniest part for me. Is the marketing was just like these commercials that were like, "You know his name." Jason Bourne <laughs> like that was that was the mar- that was the mark that's
1: thing. when he's like in a he's in a dirt pit and he just they're about to fight and he just knocks the guy out in one punch I think that's I think Are I it? remember the people like the movie. movie they think
0: it's good like people I've heard a lot of people say like it's it's decent like it's 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 not bad
1: I'll say this and why we love the first Jason Bourne movie and why we haven't seen the last one I'm sure it's good is it great no. No. And the first movie, pretty it, great. It's pretty
0: great, yeah. And it really launched uh it really launched uh, like a, a, a second go for for Damon, right? Like he'd kind of been hanging around, he made rounders, talented mystery of the Ocean's eleven, but I think like he got kind of a second life as like a borderline action star. Yes. Where he did uh after that he did, you know, Syriana, he does um he does The Green What's he's in Space Elysium, oh, Green Zone, Elysium, like, yeah. True grit. Like you could take after that point. You could take him seriously as someone who's in an action movie, where maybe before that wasn't possible. Um, and I loved, I loved, a, I love J- Matt Damon. I think he's a really underrated actor. I
1: maybe. think he's a very highly rated actor, and I'm just glad that he brought his great acting skills to you know, this badass movie. People
0: like to slam on him a little bit, though. I feel, I feel,
1: I think. It, okay, so if you go to a comedy movie, not related, called "The Forty Year Old Virgin," there's a scene where there's a, the three. Main characters are all arguing, and in the background, the the Born identity is on, and Paul Rudd just stops the argument and goes, you know, I used to think Matt Damon was a real pantyways, but he's rocking the shit in this movie. And that <laughs> yep. sums it up, because... This movie turned him, for yeah, sure. Yeah, he was not you know, the talented Mr. Ripley, he was this guy who did a bunch of different, different acting roles.
0: And in Ocean's Eleven, he was the guy who was, like, kind of the worst member of the crew, right? Yeah,
1: kind of mousy, and, you know, the guy who's subterfuge to get by... Uh, yeah, Damon is a badass and and good for him. He's more than just a guy to make fun of in Team America.
0: I I agree. Um, upcoming movies for Matt Damon: We got Downsizing and Superbicon. Are you excited for either of these? Have you do you know what Downsizing is about? The plot is kind of amazing. You know, I think you've talked about it, but I don't remember. I, I- hate Alexander Payne though, just because I've heard so many stories about how this guy's a jerk. Uh, even though he makes good movies, I'm not going to lie. Uh, basically, there's Downsizing. Imagines what's happened is. Basically, in the future, overpopulation is a big problem. So you can get shrunk down to five inches so that more people can fit on Earth. Okay. Really? Yep. I have not heard of this. So Matt Damon decides to do it, uh, but then I think his wife backs out at the last minute. <laughs> and that's the, that's the that's the the story, basically. So I don't... It's got Christoph Walsh, Kirsten Wig, Matt Damon, uh, Jason Sudeikis, a bunch of people.
1: What do they do with these five-inch people? I don't know. I haven't figured that
0: out yet. All right, uh, Suburbicon is coming out soon. Uh, George Clooney directed. It looks like um, every Coen Brothers movie. I don't know. It'll either be really good or really bad. It does, but it looks it looks really cool. It doesn't have great reviews right now, which it takes which place in like me. the nineteen
1: forties though, yeah. Los Angeles. It's got I, people, got a have, noir film people have People have seen
0: it. it and people don't aren't crazy about it, which kind of bugs me. Um, which, that's the opposite is true for Blade Runner 2049. Start the hype train now. Everyone who's seen Blade Runner says it's good. Like, I'm, I'm out there. I'm, I'm talking to people. People who've seen Blade Runner, they love it. And it's going to be great.
1: That's good, because that last Alien movie that release Scott did. Boo. It looked like,
0: it got good reviews, so I thought it was going to be good. And then it was just okay. I mean, that's, there you go. Alright, <laughs> what, a, what a review that was I gave. So, four. Kevin Garber's ghost. For Garrett <laughs> <Eric> Ronevek. <laughs> For myself, Nathan Santo. You can check us out anywhere on the internet as Seahawks Nest, and we'll see you next week. Go Hawks!